0: Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Invested Property Fund Trading and Transactions Update. All attendees will be in listen-only mode. There will be an opportunity to ask questions impromptu. If you should need assistance during the call, please signal an operator pressing star and then zero. Please note that this event is being recorded. I'll now hand the conference over to Mr. Andrew Buller. Please go ahead, sir.
1: Thank you very much, and and good morning to everybody. Um, There is a fair amount to get through here, so we will try and fly through it and and leave time for questions at the end. Um, So I think just maybe to kick off and clear out the the trading updates uh, from last night, um, and really as a pre-close, so uh, we've reaffirmed our guidance going into March. Um, We obviously updated that guidance back end of November last year, uh, marginally negative, really driven by the, the significant movement in interest rates in Europe. But if you look at the op- operating side of the business and, and what's happening on the ground in both South Africa and Europe, it's very pleasing to see the results and the metrics coming out of both regions. In South Africa, we continue to see uh, strong momentum. You, you know, Still challenging out there, certainly not easy, but the business has performed well. We're expecting to deliver between 4 and 6% uh, growth in, in life-for-life net property income. Uh, the vacancy rates have continued to reduce. We're looking at around 5% in March, and most pleasingly, if you look at the office vacancy, that's coming down further, 10% last September, uh to kind of 7%, uh, 7.5% by the time we get to March. So um, I think that is certainly a, a great result. Uh, 90% of the space expiring during the period has been relet. Negative reversions persist I think it's just a function of the market, the lack of underlying growth, um, but certainly happy with how we, how, how the team has performed very low incentive levels at around 3%. Uh, and we expect valuations to remain uh, pretty stable in South Africa. Moving across to Europe, um, the, the we continue to see very strong tailwinds at an operating level, um, you're seeing very, very solid NOI and top line contractual rental growth. So the contracted rent line, I think we've, we've captured somewhere around 10, 10.5% over the last 12 months. And that drops, uh, that's dropping through 8 to 9% like for like NOI growth for the year to March. Again, very strong performance and you're getting the benefit of both reversions. Uh, we captured, we're looking to capture somewhere around 6 to 7% as well as the indexation on the leases that haven't come back. And with a five-year whale, um, we've got roughly 20% of the the asset base and lease book coming back at us every year, which gives us the opportunity to pick up that rental growth and the NOI piece. And and that is a strong underpin to valuation as we move forward. Um, And certainly what we're also seeing on the ground is an acceleration of some of that rental growth. So over the last uh, two to three months, the team there have – Leased out approximately 90,000 square meters and on that 90,000 square meters, we've captured around 11%. So you can see the rate of change and, and, uh, and what that means, certainly from a top line perspective, as well as, um, protection at a valuation level. We're pulling the, 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 portfolio back by around 5%. Um, the look through on that from a yield perspective is around 4.9 or, or 5% at a, at an asset level. And again, a lot, of, a lot of work has been done with externally valued. We've since checked it um, with with a, a second valuer. And we're comfortable given where we are from an ERV perspective uh, with roughly 10% uh, ERV embedded in the portfolio. So certainly uh, happy with how the business has operated over the, the last uh, 12 months and certainly the last six. The, the kind of um, yeah, the operational metrics are very, very strong. And, and we, we're pleased. I guess the interest rate piece in Europe is something that has just dragged the bottom line earnings. Um, if we move into the, the various transactions that were announced yesterday on a, on, uh, as a basket of transactions, um, we are, we're, we're talking about the internalization of the management companies in South Africa and Europe, the acquisition, effectively taking out our joint venture partner in Europe. So, um, with the, together with EDT and then partnering up again with Graham Katz and his team in, in Australia as you buy, as we've just bought out together with them, um, the funds management business of Iron Gate from Hall. The impact of those transactions as a whole is somewhere around two to four percent earnings accretion. We'll have a business that will operate across nine countries. I mean, today we operate effectively across the 8 we're just adding uh, Australia, but, but a total um, asset base of around 35 billion rand. sitting across those territories, um, $150 million of equity under management obviously is focused to Australia, and our balance sheet uh, from an LTV perspective remains um, kind of unmoved, and, and we'll get on to that. There's been a significant amount of work done to recycle capital to effectively fully fund these transactions. And what we think this creates for us going forward is something that's quite dynamic and certainly an attractive international property company. So um, the, the the shift overnight moves us to majority offshore, if you look at it on a gross asset value perspective and exposure. Um, we have a fully aligned management function across these three territories. Um, it's important as we start to think about potential corporate activity and the introduction of institutional capital um, as we start to build out that capitalized and funds management uh, strategy. And, and it's, it's been very important to get rid of some of the perceived impediments in that, uh, from a geographic perspective, we will be roughly 40, 53% exposed offshore, and we would expect that to probably continue um, as we look to, to develop and push um, the businesses in both Australia and and Europe. Certainly not turning our backs on South Africa. It's just that when you when you are if we're successful in those two territories, when you're multiplying everything by 20 and by 12, I think the maths will naturally shift. Um, in South Africa, you have a diversified uh, portfolio. Certainly what we think is is uh, very defensive across retail, industrial, and office. Uh, a, a million square metres of logistics space, quality logistics space across Europe, and an attractive entry point into Australia to to really move on the cap, capitalized business and build on the success of Graham and the team, who only launched that side of the business a few years ago. And that gives us the opportunity, the potential opportunity to, to take that capitalized funds management strategy and roll that out across the broader framework within IPF across Europe and and potentially South Africa. Paul and the team in Europe have been uh, successful in that in the past, having aggregated portfolios. uh, You know, During Paul's time at Hanstein, uh, that business was sold on to Logical and then obviously together with us and Aries and the light industrial business that we built up together and and was sold on to to Blackstar. So there's certainly a a track record for us to, to build off of. Um, and and brings you know that capital funds management piece brings a another um, limb to the revenue streams for IPF the ability to drive um, fee income, uh, but you know to leverage our management capability and capacity across all our territories we think there are synergies that um, in the capital markets that uh, the guys were in Singapore last week at Perry uh, talking to the Asian capital markets around opportunities in both Australia and Europe, and there's certainly some overlap. And um, as an example, one of our big investors in Australia is Ivory, Cambridge. Uh, we've been talking to them about coming into our European platform a few years ago. Those are the kind, that is the kind of institutional capital that we'd like to be able to talk to and introduce into our broader international footprint over time. Mm-hmm. Um, also, just from a management perspective and, and, you know, we're bringing in effectively 50 people across the globe. Uh, very, very heavily weighted towards property and asset management, so frontline skill. In South Africa, the team is run by Graham Hutchinson. He's been with IPF since 2012, Um, and he looks after that business. We've got approximately uh, 10 to 15 people in SA that look after the asset management side of our business. In Europe, um, that business is led by Paul Roger. I know a lot of you would have had exposure to him over time. And again, we've got people on the ground across each of our core, core markets in Europe. And, and a little bit later on, I'll, I'll let Paul maybe talk, talk to you a little bit as well as then Graham. I know Graham Katz is well known to you guys from the Iron Gate days. Um, and it's, and it is really great to have him back together with uh, George and Adam and Christy. They um, that really formed the core team uh, in that Iron Gate stable. So, so great to have them and, and the ability to really now leverage an international platform as we look to move the business forward. Um and then just in terms of where we where we end up, um, and I've mentioned the the high levels stats, but to break it down a little bit, South Africa, fifteen billion rand portfolio diversified. In Europe circa one point one billion euros of, of logistics assets. And in Australia, the equity under management of, of about four hundred and fifty million dollars, with a total build out value on that of about two and a half billion dollars. Uh, and certainly the way that we're thinking about life is best in class management teams at the forefront of an increasingly dynamic and changing real estate market, and and, uh, we think we're well positioned to navigate that and certainly potentially um, exploit exploit that to a certain extent.
2: Um,
1: And before we we deep dive into the various transactions, I think what what is important for investors and our stakeholders is just to understand what the evolution of our broader investment strategy is over the next three to five years. from a geographical perspective, as I mentioned earlier on the call, we do think that our international exposure will probably start to um, exceed South Africa. Again, that's not just in terms of direct investment, but also our ability to um, to manage third-party capital and to grow the asset base off of that. There's a shift um, towards introducing capital lights and funds management, and, and right now we're effectively 100%. Everything comes off our balance sheet as opposed to in time we would like to have, you know, circa 25% um, of our overall kind of asset exposure um, kind of being managed on behalf of of other capital. And I think from a risk and return perspective, we've been very successful over over the last five to 10 years in the different geographies in terms of playing in that core plus value add space doesn't mean that we're turning our back on core product but certainly that, is, uh, that doesn't require as much management skill and capability. Um, and we believe that r- the real focus for us will be playing in that core-plus failure space. In, in Europe, we've done it exceptionally well, um, and we've done the same here in South Africa and, uh, and Australia. So we'll be looking to shift up the risk curve slightly, um, certainly not, not taking on more than we can chew, but uh, understanding that risk and converting it. Walking through each of the um, individual transactions, we'll start with the management internalization. Um, headline price of $975 million. Um, A significant uh, portion of that is non-cash. So there's $325 million. Almost a third of that is in deferred consideration. And we're settling another, th- or just over a third, by the sale of the two regional head offices back to Investec. Uh, we're settling that off of an implied uh cap rate on market rentals at around eight and a half, eight to eight and a half percent and okay. of a contractual rental, which includes the top slice, at nine point two percent. So we think from a fund perspective that's a good trade relative to what you're buying and the ability to to invest in the management companies that will create operational leverage um over time. Um, we have also negotiated uh first offers across the Investec asset base uh, I think the two notable assets there are the neighbourhood and the Brick, brickworks developments done in KZN, and and those ROPOs are for a period of two years, and Investec has agreed to lock up their equity uh, for at least twelve months post post closing. The impact of the transaction at an on an earnings level is circa four percent plus uh, earnings accretion, and um, and so we think that's a, is a good result, Um from a from a process perspective, we've had um, an independent board that was constituted to oversee the transaction. So those board members that are um, conflicted in any way through their uh, participation within either Investex or the likes of myself, uh, Nick Riley, as well as those board members that sit on other boards as independents, Philip Porkaby, Kuma um are excluded from that committee. Um, we have also had an independent expert appointed to obviously opine on the transaction. Um, and their preliminary view is is that it's fair and we've we've had external property values, Mills Fitchard uh, looking at the valuations of of the property piece. Um, and then from a process perspective, going into the shareholder vote, because this is a related party transaction um, and is, is north, I think, of five percent of our market cap requires a vote. Investec will be excluded. From that vote, uh, meaning that uh, around 75% of shareholders will be able to vote. It will require an ordinary resolution to pass, which which means around 38%. As we stand today, we've got support from 29% of the eligible vote, which really means um, 60% of what's required and that those levels of support are in writing. So we're very happy with uh, the feedback that we've received on the road from from, uh, the largest shareholders in in the group. Um, moving to Europe, and I'll, I'll hand over to Paul in a second. I'll give the headline um, the headline numbers here. But we've, together with EDT, acquired um, our joint venture partners' stake. So effectively, um, that is now fully exited. The, the headline price on that for the 25% was €126 million. Euros. When you sell that to an asset level yield, it's 4.9% or around 1.1 billion, which really is around where our book value is. It was very important for us that we didn't tinker with the structure. We had to move very quickly in order to effect the transaction. It came about at the back of um, the pulling of the sales process last year, and, and we've been discussing this with our uh, joint venture partner, reminded that the sales process was very opportunistic, really based on the inbound interest and pricing levels that have been, um, kind of shown. And when the market shifted, that, that kind of abnormal profit just wasn't there anymore. It's been a long term, certainly Europe for us and, and this logistics space is a strategic hold and investment for us. So it's good to, well, we feel it's a great result to have it, um, increased expo- exposure there, but we needed to move quickly. Uh, the EDT have come to um, come in quickly alongside us. We've, if we've tinkered with the structure, it could have been hugely punitive from a, an overall tax perspective, and certainly we'll be looking to bring in um, over time strategic partners who look to grow that business. It also creates opportunity for us to um, to introduce third-party capital and other partners either within uh, the Pell portfolio or into other strategies and platforms that we've been thinking about for some time. So maybe Paul, I'm going to pause there and and, um, and just let you talk about what you're seeing on the ground in Europe, some of the key themes, um, and uh, yeah. So over to you.
3: Thank you, thank you, Andrew, and and good morning everybody. Uh, yeah, look, and I think you've you've covered it quite nicely when you talk about the the underlying rental growth story being so strong in in continental Europe. I mean, that's really the the key message here that we're seeing is that for a long time. We've been waiting for, for rental growth to come through on, in the continental markets. <clears throat> it was always expected and we could see the strength of demand, um, prior to COVID, but really accelerating through COVID. And, and we're now pleased to see that's, that's converting into very strong, strong rental returns. I mean, when you look at the, the 90,000 square meters that you mentioned earlier, a positive reversion of around 11%. I think it's a very strong story. That's not an isolated situation. I mean, just this week, for example, we're looking at a couple of transactions in the Netherlands um on a releasing capacity which will show similar sort of increases above the passing level for, for a couple of tenants that we're dealing with down in our, our to estate. So I think that rental growth story is 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 very strong and and, and continues to be to be coming through. Um especially when there's a such a restriction on development supply, and, and there really is a, a severe lack of good quality stock in, in each of these these local markets. Um, I think the, the next point to mention, and I th- I'm 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 it's, I'm not sure which slide it is on your deck, but it's it's the acquisition of the additional interest, and it's the location map. I mean, the point here is that the 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 assets in in, in Europe are situated on a, a very core heartland of of, of Western Europe with seventy seven percent of the income really driven from those local markets. So it's Germany, Netherlands, Belgium and France. <clears throat> and I think that's not to say that the peripheral countries of Spain, Poland and Italy are not performing as strongly. Um we are seeing very, very good performance in those those local markets. But I think the the key message is these properties are best in class and located um, in the in the in the real continental European heartlands, the lease structures. I mean, we've we've touched uh, well over ninety percent of each of these leases since our acquisition. We have got a weighted average lease length of, of of five years to expiry, four years to break. We understand the real estate very well, and these tenants um, uh, are, are very well known to us, and we understand the underlying businesses that occupy the space. So I think it's a a very strong message from a from an existing pol- portfolio standpoint. Um, I think the the other thing to mention on the the opposite side of the coin really in Europe is the team that manage these assets are very well honed, very experienced, dynamic real estate professionals. I mean, I've been working with a, a good handful of these um, boys and girls since my Hanstein days who were fortunate enough to, to rejoin the fold after we sold that business and, and came back into the, the Pell portfolio. And I think that gives us a really... Good ballast in terms of people, um, and relationships to which to, to build upon for this, for this portfolio. Um, the, the, the key point on the team side is that they are in country, they're specialists, they speak the local language of the tenants, they understand the tenants' needs, and they're on hand to deliver the, uh, the results of those tenants when they, when they come forward. I mean, I think looking forward, there's, 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 there's key parts that we want to, to focus on. I mean, we've got, um, this year, 280,000 square metres, approximately, of space coming up for renewal. We have um, 130,000 square metres of that already struck, uh, and then we have 110,000 square metres which is is under offer. So essentially, there's there's a sort of fairly small 15% section that is is still to be uh, addressed, and we're fairly confident that will that will show good opportunities to relet in the in the coming months. And I think in addition to that, we've got um, the development sites that are situated throughout. Our keynote of points, and we'll look to bring those forward over the next uh, weeks and months ahead.
1: Thanks, Paulie. I think the, the, the other point, just around um, valuation and where we're getting in, and, and also what we're seeing in our in our business, I made the point earlier with around twenty percent of your lease book coming back every year. That does enable you to capture the underlying rental growth, not just the indexation. And that is, that is acting as a, a significant buffer in the current volatility around cap rates. Um, our, our original investment thesis in Europe was always predicated one on, from a return perspective on, on rental growth, but also as we thought about risk, the potential for interest rates to move out and therefore the, the ability or potential for cap rates to expand was again premised by that. So it's good to see it coming through and, um, and certainly is, is the fundamental reason why you're seeing in our portfolio a 5% write-down vis-a-vis some of the other bigger write-downs that are being taken by some of the other listeds across Europe. Um, equally, the UK valuations are, are certainly coming off uh, quicker and, and larger than, than in Europe. So you know, those counters that have a big exposure to that footprint are certainly seeing bigger, bigger mm-hmm. impairments. The last point on, on Europe, we made, that, made the point in our interim results in September. We've done a lot of work around the corporate cost structure. Um, we said last night in the trading update, we, we are ripping out around 40% of the corporate costs inside that business. We'll um, deliver that over the next two years. Half of that uh, kind of a million euros comes through next year, and we would expect the other, the other million to accumulate cumulative effect of two million to then hit the base the year after. Um, and, and equally, what we've done is not just cut out the costs, but we've um, introduced the ability to, to flex and leverage that cost base going forward so it doesn't become a linear cost base. We really start to get the jaws opening up. And, and with the revenue growth, as we're seeing together with the costs now contained, interest rates um, effectively capped out on where we are today, we would expect um, that earnings line, earnings line to start moving. In the right direction going forward.
3: And then lastly on
1: to Graham and, and, and Iron Gates. Um, we've been keeping him up all week as he's had to dial into various uh, road shows late at night, but it's great, as I mentioned up front, to have him and the team back. Um, certainly excited about what we've done over the past together and uh, equally excited about what we're going to be able to do together going forward. Um, just headline, and I'll hand over to Graham, is that we've Um, very, very small uh, uh, amounts of that we're talking about here, but really teaming up with with a management team that delivered over 200% total return to shareholders at a JSE level and over 60% um, to those that were on the ASX. So um, really excited about the opportunity. Graham, maybe if you can give a sense of what you're up to and and, uh, where the opportunity lies.
2: Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Um, And it is it is great to be back and great to see old friends in the investor investment market. We'll be late at night, Um, but uh, yeah, from our perspective, this is the 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 work we're doing in our unlisted fund is very much within our DNA. And if you're those who've got long memories, remember before we came in our initial roadshow and we listed in the JSE, our heritage, in fact, was running three unlisted funds with largely opportunistic mandates. So this, I guess, and to some extent is back to the future. When we internalised a couple of years ago, if you remember, we stapled on our unlisted funds. So this business has been running for sort of two or three years, uh, and we initially started out by raising a fund out of Hong Kong with the Hong Kong billionaires and raised circa $160 million. Um, the point behind that is that we tried, we've stretched that $160 million of equity Effectively to $450 million of equity, because that fund then co-invests alongside other third parties, such as Arvino Cambridge, which Andrew mentioned before, to stretch that 160 into effectively 450 or $500 million of equity. So it's a very much a capital light structure. Um, we spread the risk amongst this particular fund of, you know, a Temple Water Fund, uh, office building in Phyllis Street in Sydney. Uh, Large-scale redevelopment of a wool shed in Melbourne on the fringe of the CBD, uh, off a retail centre in Adelaide, which has got Coles and uh, and Apple in there. So we spread spread the risk. Uh, the properties are performing well, so we've got a good running start for our investors investing in this stage of the project. Um, and we're looking forward to to great opportunities in Australia. Certainly, the last year of raising interest rates and inflation has caused some dislocation in the market, hasn't really come through in valuations yet, but we're certainly seeing terrific opportunities in the next two or three years as the Australian economy kind of reboots back to normality. We're certainly seeing uh, the education sector kicking around with the Chinese students coming back into the market, Um, tourism is coming back, um, and whilst people are, in a sense, sitting on the sidelines, uh, we sense that there's going to be tremendous opportunities, buying opportunities in the next 18 months or so. The team is excited to be part of the action again, be partnering with Andrew and his team, um, and we're really looking forward to a profitable next few years.
1: Thanks, Graham. And so ready to to end off and summarize uh, in terms of overall financial effects on the P&L and equally on the balance sheet, um, as I said up front, the basket of transactions here, uh, we're expecting to, to deliver somewhere between 2 and 4% accretion. The majority of that accretion comes out of the mannequin internalization at, at around 4%. Um, the European um, piece in the short term is marginally dilutive, and, and, the Europe, uh, and the Australian piece is effectively neutral. I think importantly on, um, on the management piece, there is uh you know driving a lot of that accretion is the net management fee savings um i think in the results or the update you gave yesterday it is around 75 million and and there we've applied and used uh sydney well, not prevailing stock prices because you know it is moving but sydney uh, u- using the fee structure off of a um off of an EV that is linked to market cap um, and then we have introduced a bit of structuring with Investec from a deferred consideration perspective that gives us more benefit day one as we, as we then build that management franchise over the next few years and deliver, um, growing earnings. From a, an LTV perspective, I mentioned up front that we're gonna be r- r- around, um, neutral, marginal tick up on LTV. And that is because of a significant, significant amount of work we've done to recycle capital Around about 1.9 billion will come from the sale of our bridge line that we have into Europe. We sold that or we're about to sell that to a third-party financial institution. Um, Paul and his team have, are about to conclude the sale of a property in the Netherlands at a significant premium to book value. That will generate roughly 300 million of proceeds in South Africa. We've got 600 million of, of asset sales on the go, of which around 200 million is is done. And so out of that 1.9 billion that was being recycled, only 400, 300 to 400 million, or that is effectively at risk. And the rest then gets put towards the Aussie deal, uh, the manco transactions, and, and the, the building of the state in, in Europe. Um, and then from, you know, looking forward, so we're finishing at around about that 40% mark, uh, we've got some some real levers that we can pull over both the short and medium term to bring that LTV down significantly, um, as we 're thinking about a target of somewhere around that thirty five percent mark we 've obviously got the the um, strategic focus about bringing in that strategic partner into the European business as a whole and again i, I don 't mean that just in terms of Pell but also around some of the other opportunities that Paul and the team are looking at and exploring uh, we 've got a significant pipeline of other asset sales in both South Africa and Europe and we 're also thinking about utilizing that as we as we seed potential new fund management and capitalized strategies on both sides of the water. And, and that will obviously hope, will hopefully drive both earnings as well as have a big impact on LTV. That is not an overnight thing. That is a, the building of a business. We'd certainly like to see um, some momentum on that over the coming like, 12 months. Um, and then, you know, we, we're not we're not going to um, turn our backs on opportunities. as the development pipeline in Europe that we're looking to roll out um, given the, the significant shortage of stock supply really is is, is almost um, shuttled completely a lot of that has been due to uh, the lack of credit availability in that market and um, so a lot of the development feasibilities are really um, are still there especially given the uptick in rentals and, and we think we've got the ability to bring online um, the pipeline at, at around the same sort of initial yields that we thought about uh, 12 to 18 months ago, um, and and you know, we'll continue to run the business very prudently uh, both here and in Australia, uh, in Europe in terms of the underlying cost base. So that kind of brings it to an end. Where we are from a um, process perspective, um, all all three transactions have been uh, signed up to. So Europe um, concluded on Tuesday um, uh, with full closing. The Australian deal exchanged. Yesterday, and the binding heads of terms with the with the management companies also took place um, on on Tuesday. Um, that obviously leads into the shareholder process, the formal shareholder process. Circular uh, will be um, posted in the next few weeks, and we move into into the um, the standard uh, calendar thereafter. So, um, you know, no doubt, be further engagement with shareholders between now and then, and as we lead up into that. Project. So that is that is it from us. I'm going to push pause and then open up to
0: questions. Thank you very much, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now be conducting the question and answer session. If you'd like to ask a question, please press star and then one on your telephone keypad or the keypad on your screen. A confirmation term will indicate that Iran is in the question queue. You may press star two to exit the question queue. Just a reminder: if you can like ask a question. You're welcome to press star and then one. The first question comes from Londiwe Butalezi, of twenty-four.
3: Good morning, everyone. I hope you can hear me.
1: Yes, good morning.
3: Uh, yes. So, my first uh, question is just really seeking clarity. So, am I understanding correctly that now because of this internalizing of your asset management functions, you will have an asset management unit within IPF? And then the second one is about uh, um, the additional stake um, in EPL. E- 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 um, is it fair assessment to say that because you spoke a lot about the opportunities that are coming out there that you see you are seeing more opportunities in Europe than it is the case in South Africa at the moment
1: yeah okay thanks dear. so I think the first the first piece around the um, effect of the internalization is that you'll have a full a fully integrated uh, team that has been looking after both South Africa and Europe. The last um, however many years already move inside, so nothing nothing changes from uh, who's who's doing the day job. Just the overall structure of it shifts, um, and you know we've got both property, asset management, uh, fund management, finance, tax, marketing, company secretarial, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, sitting inside inside that business. Um, Opportunities. I'll let Paul maybe talk to Europe a little bit, just just to clarify between Europe and, and South Africa. The opportunity set is very different. We still think the opportunities in South Africa. Um, you've, you've got to be. I mean, we, we think about return and risk at the same time. Certainly, the risk profile here is heightened. Um, but when you've got people on the ground, no matter where you're operating, um, you've always got always got the ability and capability to navigate that risk and and to drive return. But maybe Paul, if you can talk a little bit to what you're seeing in Europe and where the opportunities lie, there's a lot of noise at the moment, really, around interest rates and inflation, and and that has also led to the big capital sitting on the sidelines. That opens up the opportunity for the likes of ourselves to to go and play. We've done that very successfully in Australia over time. But maybe Paul, you can give a little bit of sense as to what you're seeing.
3: Yeah, just I mean, from from, from our perspective, the um it has been quarter four last year was was tough, and there was certainly a lot of um pull back from 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 potential capital looking at at new opportunities in the market i think i think the sentiment going into 2023 has definitely shifted and and there's a certainly even in the last couple of weeks there has been a couple of pr- approaches that have been made to us where it's it's private equity capital or institutional capital that has been sitting on the sidelines for the last 6 to 9 months observing what's been happening uh, both in, in, in the UK and the continent. I think and I think those two two markets are um quite different at the present time. And um yeah and and, and what, what seems to have changed is that capital, whether it's the institutional or private equity, is is becoming more interested in looking at potential deployment over the next couple of months and really understanding what the management play is there to align themselves with key managers in, in certain regions. So yeah, we're certainly seeing a lot of interest from capital um, warming up. Let's say uh, as we go into 2023 on the stock side. I and mean, what's 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 been encouraging slash um, interesting for me is is really the fact that we are that we are that we're not seeing wholesale opportunities present themselves uh, across the, the, the pan-European markets. But what we are having conversations with is managers who would pose themselves as let's say best in class. Operators of, of light industrial logistics or general warehousing property, who are finding it difficult to deal with certain problems, whether that's structural or, or from their tenant base, and they are sort of coming to ask us if we could help and get involved in those, those those situations. Which I think is is good testament to the to the the performance and the track record of our team. But I think it does present potential buying and co-investment opportunities as as we go forward this year.
1: Does
2: that answer your questions? Yes, it does.
0: Thank you. Okay. Thank you. The next question comes from Mwisho Nene of SPG Securities.
4: Hey, guys. Can you hear me?
1: Yeah. How's it, Mwisho? All
4: good. Uh, Just a few questions about um, the logistics transaction. Um, So, can you just maybe explain the the cause for that um, contract for difference clause that you've got with with EDT?
1: Sure. So, uh, I mean, ultimately, what we we needed to do was move as quickly as possible to close out on a transaction. Um, You know, there's, there's risk associated, the ability to do diligence a portfolio of that size uh, and the structure is not not easy to do quickly, um, and so you know to kind of ensure that we were able to close out, we were we were willing to take on some of that risk. Um, I think the key is that the kind of short to medium term strategic priority for the for IPF, and that business is to introduce the right capital, the right partner, the right strategic partners. We look to to build that business. Uh, I've said to a few shareholders uh, together with Paul over the last few weeks that it might not be that it it all comes into one portfolio. We've got the opportunity now to cut that business up um, into different uh, regions or portfolios if we like, depending on on where we want to go. So what we've done is we've ensured that we've retained optionality in that decision-making process over the course of the next six months.
4: Okay, but you're not concerned about them having an incentive to basically exit a bit sooner than maybe you guys would like.
1: Correct. I mean, there's 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 lots of um, protective rights around that too, right? So, um, you know, the that that six percent can't just get traded um, overnight. There's a there's we have a huge amount of protection on that from an IPF perspective.
4: Okay. Um, and do you guys have? I suppose it's quite early to, to maybe know for sure, but do you guys have um, a sense of maybe potential replacements as well that would be in in, in it for the, the long term and maybe take up a, a larger stake?
1: Yeah, so you know, Paul, it, it is early days. We've we've been okay. very focused on getting this transaction done. Um, you know, we 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 learned over the course of the last few years that when you know when, when we when we tried to introduce third party capital into a structure with too many people at the table, it's its very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and this this kind of cleanup gives that opportunity, right? I mean, that's that's about as much as we, we okay.
3: uh,
1: know right now. We've obviously had lots of conversations, coffee, coffees and beers uh, with uh, capital around the world to understand what the art of the possible is as well as what the art of their want is. Um, so I think we've got a, a good idea. Um, but certainly over the last few months, our, our primary focus has been on completing this transaction to make sure that we've got that opportunity to go and play. Um, but we, we're fairly confident that there is the right capital out there looking to, uh, looking to partner with us to do what we, what we think is right. I think Paul mentioned in, the earlier, in his earlier response around some of the opportunities that are, that are out there. And that can be done inside PL or, or alongside it, and, and you know whether it's one or multiple capital partners that come and sit with us uh, in our journey, you know we'll we'll uh, see that in the next in the kind of next uh, twelve or so months.
4: Okay, and, and then just to make sure that um you guys won't be providing any type of like loan towards um EDT rights for the transaction. Correct.
1: They so okay. fully really find it on the on the on the back end.
4: Okay. And then just lastly, um, do you have a, a sense of what the sort of splits would be for that ninety percent that you're buying up in terms of like your ZAR versus Euro funding just to get a an accurate, you know, sort of cost of funding there?
1: Yeah, so we because it is more short term in nature in terms of that hold, um, we are we will fund it effectively all with euro denominated debt, whether it's a hard currency loan or through synthetics. Um and so, and that that effectively, you know, puts our all-in cost Jen is with me here puts our all-in cost of funding at around uh, what four and a half, or four, four and a half. So you you that's why your your marginally diluted. And then you know the reason we with the short or the the fully euro-denominated uh, funding here is again around the optionality, the fact that you are are looking to move the stake or part of the stake over time.
4: Okay, thanks. Uh, sorry, actually, one one more question. Just with regards to the the internalization of the manco, I see the calculation included a a, a revenue on your sort of growth assumptions. Is, is that ten point nine million what you expect to get as a benefit from just stronger performance from internalizing the manco? Because it seems like those things are going to be more or less the same. Yeah. So so
1: just for um, clarity. I mean, under the existing management contracts, there are you know there are transaction fees that can be charged. Um, and yeah. those, if, if you look at the run rate over the last uh, whatever five to seven years, is more than the 10 million a year. But we're also so what we what we're doing is thinking about our our broader business, capital light in Australia, uh, here in in potentially in South Africa and in Europe, and the ability to grow that business or of you know, uh, bringing in either capital or the the operational leverage that we get out of it. So, uh, we actually think that's a very conservative assumption, Um and uh, and and are happy happy with that level of kind of forecast growth in in our numbers.
4: Okay, thanks, guys.
0: Thank you. The next question comes from Paulo de Almeida of Cairns Capital. Good morning, guys. Can you hear me?
1: Yeah,
0: I'm part Morning, morning. Just just two questions from me. Just on the investing equity lockup for 12 months, uh, you mentioned there's certain repeat exemptions. Could you talk to that a little bit? And then my second question is, at what stage do you consolidate power? RPF economic interest now is going to be 84%, and you're deriving most of the benefit from – that CFD agreement. So, are up to technically this thing. What is the thinking with with regards to consolidating this? Is that something that just won't happen? Thanks.
1: Sure. Thanks, Paula. I guess the equity lockup. Um, I mean, it's it's pretty simple in that um, the equity is locked up for the twelve months. Um, and really, I think the only way the only way to shift it, There'll be more detail in the circular. The only way to sh- for investors, like they are allowed. Uh, they are allowed to shift the entire block, but there's no um, there's no ability to to sell down during during the twelve month period, and um, and certainly you know, the, they rem- they remain supportive of, of our strategy um, on the consolidation. I'll hand over to Jenna, but she's she's a much better accountant than I am, so uh, Jen can just give you a view. I think just just to keep in mind, Paulo, that this the, the the very important thing for us, there were two elements. One is thinking, obviously, about consolidation, but the other is in that European structure, um, as I mentioned, if you tinker with it and you, and you have control, there are potentially very, very adverse tax consequences. And so, you know, we're going to be doing a lot of work over the course of the next 6 to 12 months around the actual tax structure of that business, just to see if we can simplify. But the last thing we wanted to do was trigger a big tax bill. Day one, which just would have been hugely uneconomical for, for everybody. So there was, that was a big part of the consideration here. But Jen, you can just give a, some insight into the consolidation.
2: Yeah, in terms of the consolidation, hi Paula. Um, so we have kept the joint venture agreement effectively in place in terms of the shareholder agreement and we've kept the voting rights at 50-50. So in terms of our phrase, when you have a JV that's structured around voting rights like that, it is a JV and it's linked to, it's linked to your voting rights as opposed to linked to um, the economic benefit that you get out of the structure. Um, so we have tried to keep that that structure, as Andrew alluded to, in exactly the same position.
1: Yeah. I think, Paulo, if we get to a position, I'm just kind of walking, walking forward a little bit, if we get to a position where we decide that it is best for us to hold hold this level of interest, um, as opposed to introduce other capital. We'll work with Paul and the team to ensure that we get the balance sheet right, and uh, and ready to come on, right, ready to come on from a consolidation perspective. And you know, there are, I mentioned earlier, some of the thinking around asset sales, seeding fund management portfolios. There's a lot of ways to do it. Um, again, it's a, this is more kind of short, short-term-ish, um, and there will be a lot of work done either on their strategic capital partner or, or kind of right-sizing the balance sheet to, to be able to bring it on
2: in time.
0: Lovely. And, and then maybe just the last one for me. Where will the look-through leverage be um, on the business once this transaction is in place? Do, do you have that number at hand? I haven't had the time to work it out just yet. You know, you, you, I mean, day one, you're mid to high 50s,
1: look through. Uh, and again, you know, like we're not hiding away from that. You, you've you got a – we had a window to close here. Um, we understand the risks associated with that. In Europe, the LTV of that business, specifically that business, is 52%. That's after the impairments. So, you know, a significant amount of, of headroom there. And again, if we think around our strategic objectives, a lot of the levers that we can pull – to manage our broader or kind of group level L T V as well as that look through. Um, you know we're very comfortable with with what is achievable.
3: Well thanks very much. Thanks Paula.
0: Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, just a reminder, you can ask a question, you will put a breath star and then one. Mr. Werner, we don't seem to have any further questions on the lines. I will now hand over back to the
1: Okay, great, thank you. And, and um, look, we are, as the team, open to questions. The door is always open. Um, so yeah, please feel free to drop us a line or give us a call. And if you you would like face-to-face meetings, we're more than happy to do that. Which I so, thank you guys. Thank you everyone for making the time this morning. I know it was short notice. Um, so it is good to have you all on here. Thanks to Paul, and especially to Graham, to for staying up. I can see Graham's screen. You guys can't. It looks like he's got load shedding in Australia, so we're not the only ones. That's good to see. Um, but yeah, thank you for thank you for your continued support, and yeah, we really do look forward to the next chapter of the story here. I think the team is fired up and and ready to go, um, and I think we've got some really good opportunities that we're looking to unlock in the, the very short term. So. We'll keep you posted. Thanks again, and we'll talk in talk over the next few weeks, and, and, and again in, in May with our final final results. Thank you.
0: Thank you, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes today's event. Thank you for joining us. You may now disconnect your line.